0: The following sermon is from Christ Church, Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, would you open to page one? Genesis, Genesis. If you're new to Christ Church, uh, this is the first Sunday after a week of reading the Bible in six months, and we're calling these Sundays, Binge the Bible. You guys ready to binge the Bible? I have been loving this, absolutely loving it. I love the scriptures Um, I challenged everybody two weeks ago to read the Bible in six months. I gave you one Sunday to think about it, decided it was too hard, change your mind, then do it. And now we've just spent six days reading 36 chapters of the Bible. Now, I don't assume that every single person has engaged, but those of us who have, have had just a phenomenal week. It's just, your mind's probably exploding with thoughts and feelings and new perspectives, probably a lot of unanswered questions. And so uh, we're going to be engaging with the scripture each week on Sundays. And uh, so that's what this is about. So if you haven't been reading along, that's okay. You're not gonna miss anything today. Any scriptures I use will be on the overhead. Um, but, but we're excited to get into this and to really kind of go through the scriptures for all that God wants to speak. Now I say binge the Bible, and this is a term that we're all using in the era of Netflix. I was actually talking to some friends in the first service and we were, we were reminiscing about the days before cell phones. Remember when you used to leave your house with no phone and you would just call somebody when you got there, if at all. And now you feel like you left your hands behind if you, lose, you leave your phone on the counter. So our world has changed. And I was thinking about the first show Tiffany and I ever binge watch. I remember in 2004, we didn't watch much TV. We don't watch much TV now, but uh, everybody was watching Lost. You guys remember the show Lost? It like exploded in popularity. And we watched an episode from, with some friends and it was like episode three of season two and we were lost. We were like, what is going on here? And uh, so we didn't really think too much of it. But when Tiffany became pregnant with our oldest, 13 years ago, um, Netflix came out. Remember they used to send you DVDs in the mail and you get that red envelope and tear that bad boy off and you're like, how do they do it? Well, we started watching Lost in like 2009 and we caught up real fast and it was the first kind of binge experience we ever had. And of course we caught up before the end of the season and we were with the rest of the world on bated breath for the season finale of Lost and were we all terribly disappointed? That was like the worst season finale in the history of television. Well, I can guarantee you at the end of six months, that is not how you will feel as you are thumbing through the book of Revelation. I can guarantee you that. You may be a little confused, but it is going to blow your mind, and I'm excited to to keep binging the Bible with you, and each week, we're just looking for uh, how the storyline of God's purposes for us and this good news about Jesus continues to to pop out, and so if you've been reading with us, you've probably experienced this uh, phenomenon of reading things that you know you've read before, but you've never seen. Anybody experience that? Or maybe you've read a thing and it hit you in a way that you never could have experienced because the last time you read it, you hadn't been through the thing that you've been through recently. And so the the Bible is alive and active. It tells us itself. And so whenever we read it, it's also reading us. And so this is a journey every single time you go through it. And this morning is gonna be no different. The sermon title this morning is Walking with God. For the three of you who still take notes, Walking with God. And I wanna invite you to turn to Genesis chapter six, Genesis chapter six. Next week, just for a heads up, you're gonna be getting into the Joseph story today. If you haven't already done your Bible reading for today, you're gonna be getting into the Joseph story and then reading through Exodus. And next weekend before Sunday, you're gonna be slogging your way through all of the descriptions of all of the elements of the mobile tabernacle basins and ephods and lampstands. And you're gonna be, your head's gonna be spinning with what in the world is going on here. But I challenge you, to look for and discover the meaning because every single piece of furniture and element that's in the presence of God, the tabernacle has some significance for you today that when you grasp it will transform the way you walk with God each day. And so buckle up for what's ahead. But right now we're kind of recapping Genesis chapter one through 36. So we're just going to stay through third service and be fine. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, In order to do that, though, I'm just asking the Lord, okay, where do we we highlight? Because we got 36 chapters of amazing sermon material and some of the most dense passages of scripture ever, some that are so familiar and yet leave us in such a quandary. And I just felt like the Lord directed me to Genesis chapter six. And this is the account that leads into Noah and the worldwide flood. And so I wanna read chapter six, verses one to nine. And I wanna talk about walking with God. Here's what it says, Genesis 6, 1-9. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old and the men of renown. How many of you guys had questions about that little doozy right there? You're like, who, who, who are these people? What, where are they coming from? Why are they here? And then again here, what is going on? So we won't get into any of that this morning, but that along with a number of other questions that people have submitted, I'll be talking about uh, in a weekly podcast that'll come out this Wednesday. And it's going to be somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours long. And we're going to kind of like talk through some of these things and what we can know about them and what some people have discovered and so on. And so a lot of your questions may be answered in there, but we don't have time for that this morning. But you're also welcome to send in questions if you have them uh, related to any of the stuff that we're reading. But look at verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So you thought it was bad now. Imagine this description. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I made them and that brothers and sisters could have been the end of the bible it would have been very short and there would have been no one to read it verse 8 but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord aren't we glad for noah and then chapter verse 9 begins to transition to the lineage of noah but it says some things about him that i want to highlight These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And check these words out. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Lord, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. God, we thank you for this little excerpt of these 36 chapters that we have read and thought about and contemplated and many of the stories have, have resounded in our spirits and our hearts and our minds and have us thinking. God, ultimately what we have read draws us to you. Lord, in my prayer this morning, as we think about this passage and the ones related to it, is that we would get a glimpse of your heart, of your purposes, God, of this story that you have been bringing about to bring salvation to all people and the invitation from you today to come near to you and to walk with you. God, we thank you for your favor, for your grace that has been poured out throughout humanity and that is offered to every single person, every moment of the day, any who would come to you with faith and repentance. And God, I pray, That your grace would reach some even this morning holy spirit speak to us your servants are listening in jesus mighty name and all god's people said amen amen Amen. noah found favor in the eyes of the lord now i asked how many of us are grateful for noah because it wasn't for him it appears we would not be here and yet this is not about noah it's about God and it's about God's faithfulness. The reason that there's a Noah is not because Noah was special, it's because God is special. It's because God is faithful and God is gracious. In a world that is deserving of destruction, God fulfills his purpose and his promise. And this little phrase about how Noah lived, that Noah walked with God, jumped off the page to me, and it reminded me of two other passages that I had read. Genesis chapter six was the last chapter of day one. And I read chapters one to six, like many of you in one sitting. And when I read that Noah walked with God, I was reminded of something I had just read in chapter five. Chapter five was one of those genealogy chapters. You may have read over it because it's like reading the phone book and you can't pronounce anybody's names. But if you had read it, you would have got, aside from the names that are hard to pronounce, you would have heard this phrase again and again and again. So-and-so, fathered so-and-so, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And yet in the middle of these oft-repeated phrase, and he died, we read in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And in the middle of a chapter showing death and birth and genealogy and generations, something about walking with God allowed Enoch to escape this judgment of death and to be taken directly into God's presence. And that struck me. Noah walked with God, Enoch walked with God. But this isn't the first time that we've heard about a person walking with God. Although the story that I'm about to read to you, the walk is interrupted. If you go all the way back to Genesis in chapter three, after God had created the heavens and the earth, he formed them and filled them. He created a place where he could dwell with mankind. He put our first parents in the garden. He gave them a blessing and he gave them a directive. They were were given dominion over the whole earth. And they... God established this relationship between he and Adam and Eve with the one command he gave to Adam to not eat from the tree of the of the knowledge of good and evil. And in so doing, they would be trusting God in something they didn't understand. And they would have one restriction that would allow them to honor God and fear the Lord. And this was the one thing they were supposed to do. And yet this was the place where the servant, the serpent, God's, God's ancient enemy, chose to deceive and to tempt Adam and Eve to to think about God as not being for them, that somehow God was limiting them or holding something back from them and that there was a better life to be lived if they would distrust God and instead go by what their eyes could see and act on their own behalf and in their own interests. And so Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They both ate from the tree. Instantly, they knew they were naked. And then in chapter three and verse eight, this is their interaction with God. Listen, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden In the cool of the day, that's the ESV. I'm challenging myself. And so I'm reading in the complete Jewish Bible. And so there's a lot of different spellings and different phrases that capture the Hebrew language a little differently. And it's slowing my Bible reading down, but I'm really enjoying it. And one of the things that stuck out to me was in the complete Jewish Bible, it doesn't say the cool of the day. It says, he came walking with the evening breeze. And this is this picture of the movement of air. And this has always been the words in both Hebrew and Greek for the spirit of God, the presence of God, the pneuma, the ruach, this is the the wind or the breath of God. And here comes God. And what is he doing? He's coming into the place he made where he set the man and the woman to be with them and to what? To walk with them. It's a picture of life lived in right relationship with God. But instead of a walk with God that we saw that Enoch had, that we saw that Noah had, Adam and Eve are not walking, Adam and Eve are hiding. Says the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, and here's the first question recorded for you in Holy Scripture. He said, where are you? This may appear at first glance to be the first round of cosmic hide and seek. But God is not looking for the location of Adam and Eve, is he? No. God is engaging in time and in space in a relationship with his children who have now separated themselves from God through distrust and disobedience. And the question he asks is, where are you? You might phrase it this way. Why are you not right here walking with me? Where where are you? And some of us need to have the same question asked to us. Where are we as it relates to walking with God? If we, like Adam and Eve, and like every human being, like Enoch, like Noah, like all the characters we're gonna follow in this story were made by God, for God, to walk with God. If life and abundance and reality and blessing is in his proximity and in his purposes, why are we not right here next to him all the time? And so this is the question posed to Adam and Eve. And Adam responds, listen in verse 10. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so what had happened is that Adam and Eve had moved from a disposition of the fear of the Lord where they honored God as holy and other and authoritative and their maker and they trusted what he said and they lived in right relationship with him through faith and obedience and not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now having disobeyed him, now the fear of the Lord has been replaced with terror in God's presence. And so they say, I was afraid and I was naked. I hid myself. And I love this parental tone in verse 11. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Yes, dad. This is the answer. Except he doesn't say yes. He does what all of us do when we're confronted with our own guilt. She did it. It was was her. Look, look. In fact, he actually kind of blames God. The woman whom you gave to be with is kind of your fault. I was doing fine till she got here. Now it's on you. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? What does the woman say? The serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Now listen, God could have said, no, you're not getting out of this that easy. This is on you. It's not, it's not what he does. He speaks into a world that is now under a curse and broken to people who are running from him and afraid, who are ashamed of how they view themselves and are ostracized from God's presence. But instead of chastising them, He turns to the source of evil, the serpent who deceived them in the first place, and he proclaims a curse. And in that curse, we receive the seed of God's good news for humanity and the good news for every single one of us today. Look at verse 14. The Lord God said, not to Adam, not to Eve, to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly, you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring or seed and her offspring or seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here's this enigmatic Hebraic statement with some words that have double meanings. First off, from the first time these words were recorded, everyone would have thought, well, this is odd because women don't have seeds. Men have seeds. Her seed, what do you mean her seed? This doesn't make any sense at all. And how is it that you're gonna crush or bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent is gonna crush or bruise the heel? And so in this kind of enigmatic phrase, we get a prophetic forecast of what God was gonna to do to set all things right. And here's what he was gonna do. He was gonna bring about a man child, born not of a man, but born of a woman who is going to walk with God and live righteous and victorious and blameless before him. And through his own death, a crushing of the heel of sorts, he would deal a fatal blow to God's enemy and crush the head of that old serpent and deliver humanity out of the grip of death and darkness and back into God's glorious light so that by faith in the one man, Jesus Christ, we might walk with God forever. Isn't that good news? Now, this is why God showed grace to Noah, because God had already purposed and promised that a seed would come. And if God gets rid of all the people, can there be a seed? No. And so he needs a remnant. He needs to preserve one. And as he looks into a dark and broken world where the The evil intentions of every thought are always evil continually. He finds one man, not a perfect man, to bestow his grace and his favor upon. And what sets him apart among others is that he was righteous and blameless in his generation in that Noah walked with God. He didn't let what he felt or what he saw drive him away from God, but instead he was walking in proximity with God. And so when God looks to see how am I gonna preserve preserve this world, how am I gonna repopulate this world, he looks to Noah to find favor. And this is what this is this is really all about. This picture is not, this is not Noah's story. This is not how special Noah is. In fact, if you read the story, which most of you, hopefully most of you did, Noah goes through this calamity of getting this word from God. He's going to build an ark. There's going to be this global flood. He spends a hundred years building this ark. All these animals come to him. He gets in there. He's in there seven days. It starts raining 40 days and 40 nights. The whole earth, the, the depths give forth their water and there's a global flood and he's tossed in the sea until he sets down. He's in there a year before he finally is able to walk out on dry ground. Man, imagine the smell in that ark. Woo! And what does this guy who walked with God do? The very first thing he does, he makes sacrifices to God and he, the aroma comes up and God makes his covenant and this rainbow and God's never gonna destroy the earth and it looks all so beautiful. And then Noah's like, man, it's been a rough hundred years. And he makes a vineyard, makes some wine and gets smashed. He's not a perfect man. This is a man who continually walked with God. And see, God's bringing about his purpose and it's always grace and faith, these two things together. Do you see this? Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He experienced the generosity, the grace of God. This is the first time we see the word for grace in Hebrew in the Old Testament. And Noah responded by doing what God commanded him to do. In faith, he listened to what God said and then he did what God said. Think about this for a second. The the ark that saved Noah and his family and the seed to reseed the whole earth was built by Noah. It took him 100 years. Imagine for a moment if Noah would have said, God, I believe you at your word, that yes, there is a flood coming, but then he did nothing. What would have happened to Noah. And so it's always been the grace of God, the revelation of God, the movement of God, the salvation of God. He's the one who initiates it. He's the one who provides for it. He's the one from which everything comes. But it's when the grace of God meets faith in our hearts that we come back to that right relationship with God. We begin to walk alongside of him. And this is what the story throughout Genesis continues to do. Obviously, Noah and his sons, give way to populate the earth and through the line of Shem, and then his son Eber, who becomes the the father of the Hebrews, among whom Abraham is called. The the storyline continues until we get all the way through to the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, when the Virgin Mary of the tribe of Judah is found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, and a forever king son of David can sit on the throne. God is always bringing about his purpose, and he's always doing that because of his grace and his goodness and his faithfulness to his promise. And he's looking for people who will take him at his word and come near to him. Amen. Do you see this? So beautiful. So beautiful. This was the picture that Abraham gives to us. And in and, and different ways, as God interacts with Abraham, he's highlighting what God is looking for in faith. Abraham is the father of faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That started off, and, and I don't know if you saw all seven cycles of God interacting with Abraham. He comes to him in chapter 12 and he says, I want you to just go to the land that I will show you. And he just heads out. He just has this interaction with God and takes him at his word. In chapter 13, he's promised the people in a place that your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the dust of the earth and you're gonna have this land that's gonna belong to you. In chapter 15, he's taken out to see the stars in the sky. He says, you won't be able to count the stars. You won't be able to count your descendants. He gives them all of this clarity. He tells them what's gonna happen with his descendants in Egypt and being delivered out of Egypt. And seven times... And then at the seventh one in chapter 22, after God has made good on his promise, Abraham messed it up by uh, having Ishmael did not carry God's promise. And, and finally, at hundred years old, Isaac is born. And then after having Isaac into his teenage years, God says, I want you to give me your son. I want you to give him to me as an offering. Now think about this for a second. This passage, anybody guys have a hard time with this? When God says, I want you to kill your son. (laughs) You're like, I thought we didn't do that, God. And God says to do this thing. Obviously, he knew what he was doing here. And this is a test. This is a test to display faith, right? And so in chapter 22, God has Abraham sacrifice his son. And Abraham, by faith, trusts God and knows that God can do anything and will withhold nothing from God. And so you get this picture of Abraham's kind of purified faith over his journey. But God stops him in the midst of sacrificing his own son and provides a ram in the thicket. And God is seen as the one who provides Jehovah-Jireh. And this is, the, uh, this is the stuff of faith. I love the way the author of Hebrews says in chapter 11 and verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead." from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In his mind, Isaac was as good as gone, but God was faithful. Faith, meaning the faithfulness of God. When we put our trust in him, knowing it doesn't matter what we stand against, God stands for us, and this is why we can walk with God. This is the proximity of the blessing. Isn't that beautiful? Now, obviously it isn't just about us or any character or our faith. This is the story of God, of what he has done. Jesus, we come to see, is the seed of the woman. Hebrews two fourteen. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Our King Jesus dealt a fatal blow to that old snake, crushing his head and it cost him his own life. And he made a way for us to be recipients of the grace of God. He is now the object of our faith. And this is the invitation for us to walk with God through faith in Jesus. He's the one that walked with God perfectly his entire life. None of us have and none of us will. Jesus fulfilled all of God's purposes daily, giving himself over all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross and is now highly exalted. Jesus is the saving vessel. It's not an ark of gopher wood or the same words you're gonna see when you read Exodus this week, that Moses was saved from a death in the Nile in a little basket made of wood, an ark. No, Jesus is our saving vessel. In him, we find salvation and deliverance and freedom and safety. And so we put our trust in him. See, Jesus is the perfect Israelite the son of Abraham, the seed of the woman, the son of King David. He's the one who is a light to the nations and the glory of Israel. It's been about him the whole time. And he, in fact, is the one begotten son of God who is sacrificed. There was no scapegoat. He died in our place. And because of the death of God's one and only son, we can be set free, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. See, this is God's long story. And he's the chosen one. Listen, God's always engaged with people throughout human history who would take him at his word and work along with him and walk along with him. That's why Adam's in the story and Noah's in the story and Enoch's in the story and Abraham's in the story and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons of Israel. They're all there because God is working in real time and God wants to work with you. Do you know it? He wants to work with you. One of the things that stuck out to me, do you guys have any of those moments where you read some passage and you're like, whoa, I never saw that before. Anybody else have that experience? I knew it was gonna happen to me. I didn't expect it to happen on week one. I just read this six months ago. One of the things that blew my mind is the blessing of God. Now God wants to populate this earth. And so he puts this blessing on his people. Did you guys notice that all of these people have their problems and some of them significant and repeating in generations. And yet everybody who's following God's purposes ends up like stupid rich. Did you guys notice that in the text? We are like, what happened to that, Lord? Where's that going? Just, uh, just overflowing, just blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Just flourishing every single place that people are engaged with God. Did you guys notice that? One of the things I never noticed though was the proximal blessing that the people like adjacent to the purposes of God were even experiencing this overflowing blessing. Did you notice that, right? Be- because of God's sovereign choice, we have a nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob slash Israel, same name. But Jacob wasn't the firstborn in the story, right? Who was it? It was Esau's older brother. And so Jacob tricks him and kind of manipulates him out of his birthright and then steals his blessing. And he's like, Jacob's the snatcher. He's like snatching stuff. And yet, when you come back to the story and Jacob and Esau are reunited, Esau's more than blessed. And he's experienced all this favor from God. One of the things I didn't realize was, you know, the number 12 is this fullness of God's purposes, this fullness of God's blessing. And what did God say to Hagar and to Ishmael? I'm going to bless you. No, you're not going to carry the blessing. You're not going to carry the purpose of God, but you are going to experience a blessing. And what Ishmael was told, he was going to be the father of 12 princes, right? Well, I never noticed this, but in Genesis chapter 22, after that story I just referenced about Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac and offering this ram caught in a thicket, right after that, in Genesis chapter 22, there's this awesome little tidbit that I passed right over. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, who was also childless up to this point. Uz, Buzz, Chemuel, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jill, Laugh, all available baby names. <laughs> and Bethuel, these eight, count them, Milca bore to Nahor, Abram's brother. Moreover, his concubine, problem, whose name was Rehuma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, Meheka, 12 sons and all. You're getting this picture of God's doing something in the earth and everyone in proximity to God's blessing and who's honoring it is experiencing an overflow of this blessing. And only those who come against what God is doing experience God's cursing. This is what God said to Abraham, right? I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Did you see this? Did you see this? This like, this blew my mind. And it it speaks into the problem that we face in our world today. Did you guys notice when Jacob got into trouble and he started heading back out into the wilderness and he came back to the wells that he had dug? and he had found that the Philistines had covered them over and he went and all these wells are covered over. This is the problem in the world, the ancient world and the present world is this idea, a godless idea that we only have what we can grab and hold on to. That, That this world is filled with some limited resources and that we have to We have to be God and we have to take control of whatever power we have and strength we have, position power and opportunity and and whatever dirt we can get and whatever is under the dirt, whatever we can grab and we have to hold on to our little piece, and and other people have to suffer because they can't have it. This is why the Philistines covered over the wells. Now, if you knew how wells work, you'd know it wouldn't matter. You could have just holes everywhere. If you dig a well, you're drawing from the same water source. It's not gonna just disappear. That's not how wells work. But the Philistines said, no, we can't share the water. Don't let anybody get into our water. That's our water. And so Jacob just kept moving and moving and wherever he went, God provided. Here's a new well, here's a new well, here's a new well. The problem is, is that the the poverty mentality, the godless mentality of grab and hold and grip and fight and tear and, and climb to the top of the mountain and on the piles of other people, That's still the world we live in. And that's the world that this story takes place in, but it's not God's world. What God's inviting us into is to walk with him in his purposes and to live like him into impossible circumstances. So God says, go, you go. If God says, give, you give. If God says, serve, you serve. If God says, forgive, you forgive. And what happens is you access the impossible power of God. And there is more than enough for everybody. And Jesus put that on display. He said, oh, come to me, everybody. And they're hungry. Here's just more bread and more bread and more bread and more bread. It doesn't stop. Why? Because with God, there is always enough. Listen, economists actually realize this. The more people there are on the planet, the more creativity and work is generated, the more wealth there is for everyone, the more people are born and also live like God has directed, the better it is for everybody. Did you know that? And yet there's this demonic spirit of our age that says there's too many people and not enough resources. And so everyone will be better off if we have less children and we get rid of sick people and old people, and we just start to go, you just have to have this poverty mindset. And it's a mindset of death. This is not what God has called us into. And we can give into that in little fearful ways. We can be afraid to be generous. We can be afraid to be kind. We can be afraid to give people another chance. We can be afraid to forgive. We can be afraid of giving up our leverage. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to walk next to the God of creation, the covenant-making faithful God who's made good on all his promises, whose yes and amen is in Christ. There is nothing that you lack by my side. I may cause you to do some things that don't make sense. I may cause you to live in a way that is self-sacrificing and generous, but with me, there is always enough and more than enough. And when you walk in close proximity to God's purposes, buckle up everybody because the abundance just begins to flow. All of us wanna be in an environment like that. But the question is, do you wanna be that person? And so I started with God's question to Adam and Eve from Genesis chapter three. Where are you? Why aren't you right here? And I wanna ask you right now, where are you? Now, obviously, you know where you are, you're in church. And maybe you know where you're going, lunch. But where are you in relation to God? Are you waking up every day to say, good morning, God, good morning, Father. I'm here and I'm, 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 I'm checking in, reporting for duty. What are we doing today? This is what Jesus was doing every single day. Are you willing to go, I'm facing all kinds of lack and problems and I need power and I need strength. And he goes, great, you're in the right place then. Walk with me, walk with me and fulfill God's purposes in the earth. I tell Julian, he's on the front row, he's six. I tell him that all the time. Where are you, buddy? Because he likes to run off and not hold my hand in parking lots. I tell him he's tall for his age, but cars still can't see him in the parking lot. And where should you be, buddy? Right here next to Dad. You wanna walk in safety? You wanna walk in power? You wanna walk in strength? You wanna walk in abundance? You wanna walk in the strength to love? You gotta walk with God. You gotta walk with God. He's got all the grace and he has zero reluctance. The question is, will you have enough faith to walk with him? and to be blameless in your generation. it will be good for you and everyone around you. And I gotta tell you, the world absolutely needs it. And maybe you're here today and you've never thought about it like that. Maybe you haven't ever had categories like that. Maybe you haven't thought about God wanting to walk with you personally. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He made you on purpose. And if that's you, I just wanna give you an opportunity to simply walk with God. It's that easy. It's when you believe in your heart that this is true, you confess with your mouth. The scriptures again and again and again, you probably saw it in in, uh, Genesis when people started to call on the name of the Lord. Did you see that at the end? When Enosh was born, that's when people for the first time began to call on the name of the Lord. Abraham hadn't heard from God in a while and he called on the name of the Lord. Jacob had received this promise, but he was scared. What did he do? He called on the name of the Lord. Joel prophesied, one day, one day, the spirit of God's gonna come and change everything and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Acts chapter two, Peter said, now that Jesus has come, today's that day. He's the one and you can put your faith in him. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Call in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And that's all it takes for you to A simple prayer to say, God, I am part of this broken world and feel far from you. And I want to walk with you. Please forgive me. Take my life. I am yours. He will take you at your word and begin to walk with you every single day. Amen. God, I pray for myself and all my friends. Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to be right next to you. We want to be fulfilling your purposes. We want to be walking in your reality, in your truth. And we want to be living lives that look like you in in just lavish love towards other people. God, I pray that you would give us the eyes of faith to see the world as you've made it with this abundance that as we live like you live and as we love like you love, not only is there more than enough, but it creates a world that everybody wants to be a part of. God, I pray you'd help us to know how to do that. And I pray specifically for those who are putting their trust in you for the very first time or who are coming back to you after living for themselves running back to you. It's the best thing any of us can ever do is just to come back to, to you, Lord God. Jesus, we thank you that because of who you are and what you've done, there's a way back that we can be forgiven and made whole. And I pray, God, as we just continue to open up the scriptures each day and to talk to you in prayer, and to seek to do what it is you're teaching us, that we would come to really learn for ourselves what it means to walk with God help us. Help us this moment and every day. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, our prayer teams are here. We'd love to pray with you if you have any need, especially if you prayed that prayer in your heart and you want to talk to them about next steps, they would be happy to do that and to pray with you. God bless you guys. I can't wait for you to come back for season one, episode two. Binge the Bible. God bless you guys.